Ready to do it all, every year more people take a leap of faith and become solopreneurs. Those are people who single-handedly launch and run businesses. They make all the decisions, do all the work, and call all the shots. According to a new study, there are nearly 18 million solopreneurs in the U.S., and that number is growing. Welcome to Biz 503. Today's topic is solopreneurs. I'm Cindy Tortorisi of The Link, co-hosting with my friend Mark Grimes of NetSpace. Today, we'll cover tips for solopreneurs, but first, let's meet our panel of solopreneur business owners. Eric Swenson, founder of Eric Swenson Woodworks. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome. Uh, Julia Fitzgerald, founder of Peace of Mind Bookkeeping Services. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Martha Hull, founder of Martha Hull's Cute and Deadly Art and Stories. Great to be here. Absolutely. And Julia Hanfling, founder of Three Peaches Nutrition Diabetes Coaching. Glad to be here, too. Could you tell us your story? I am both a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator, and I've been in practice over 25 years. I love what I do because everybody who comes to see me is like a puzzle, and I discover what these individual pieces are, and then by putting the pieces together, I get the big picture, and then I have some place that I can offer assistance, whether this is preventing diabetes or managing blood sugars, limiting long term complications, diving into food questions and concerns. That's what I do and that's what I love. Julia, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you do what you do? Well, I'm a CPA and I've always loved the financial aspect of businesses and after being involved in taxes for 30 years, I decided it would be much more fun and less stressful to move into the bookkeeping arena. So I pretty much help my clients with their books all the time. Every week they get Friday financials. I meet with them either on weekly or monthly basis to make sure their books are in order all the time. I train and teach people to do it themselves, and I use QuickBooks Online to do that. I've been involved with QuickBooks since the day they began many, many years ago, and have grown up with them, so I'm very familiar with that software, and it really helps my clients keep their books in order and gives them the peace of mind they need to not worry about that and just simply focus on the thing they love and making money. Martha, cute and deadly art and stories. Tell us about that. Cute and deadly art and stories. I have been interested in pictures, stories since I was a little kid, and I've been drawn to the dark side for just about as long as I can remember. So a number of years ago, after I moved to Portland, I couldn't get a particularly great day job during the recession and was really, really feeling the, boy, this is not why I was put on this planet thing. So working with the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center locally, I decided to just launch into trying to be an artist full-time. And it's been a long road since then. I've run a couple Kickstarters, one of which was successful. Woo! And now I work down at Portland Saturday Market selling my art on the street and getting to meet people who like my stuff every single day. And it's really, really exciting. And another artist we have is Eric Swenson. Eric, tell us about your business, Eric Swenson Woodworks. Oh, well, thanks again for having me. I've had two businesses in the arts, and I've been an entrepreneur for over eight years now. And currently, what I do is I I do woodworking, and I do sculpture and then lines of jewelry where I inlay semi-precious stones and use burlwoods from the Northwest. I do juried art shows around the region, and then I'm also at the Portland Saturday Market every weekend. And I love what I do. I get to put my best collections together, driftwood and all my favorite stones that I used to collect as a kid, and then I get to polish it so it looks like 
like petrified wood. And how is it making a living as a solopreneur? Oh, it's fabulous. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You get to make your own hours. You can work in your pajamas if you want. And you just have a certain amount of freedom with your time. And your headspace, really. You know, if you want to think about something, you can. If you don't, you can shut that off. It's really hard to work in pajamas when you have staff around, I think. <laughs> you know, that, that's very true. <laughs> that can cause some problems. So what's interesting here is, you know, two of you guys have products and two of you guys have services. How do you think that works in the world of solopreneurship? Do you think it's harder or easier in either case? Can you look at the other side for those of you that have services? This is Julia Fitzgerald, and I think having the service is simpler to a certain extent because really I'm just selling the knowledge that I have in my head and then I'm providing the service by doing the books for most of my clients but I really love the teaching aspect as well because so many people can do, really do and keep up their own books if they just know what the system is and so I love both aspects. Great. And I, this is Julia Hanfling um, with Three Peaches Nutrition. What I find is that my product is actually other people's success. That's what I sell. And it took me a while to find a way to package that in such a way that I actually had something concrete that another person could plan to purchase. And so I think that even though I'm not selling, you know, widgets or things that I make in on my own, that I still am in the business of selling. Absolutely. For you that have product, you have a little bit of it is your ability to scale to scale a business because you can sell X numbers of things. Is that anything you focus on heavily? Or? Well, this is Eric here again. I've been very rooted in the numbers of my business and I have production goals that I track weekly and monthly and yearly. And I've really found that that, I mean, you have to have your indicators to know if you are in fact meeting your own definitions of success. And you know, there's another, another gentleman that does education for artists. His name's Paul Klein and he differentiates between the vision of the artist or the essence of their work and their strategy for getting it out into the world. And so, you know, he, he kind of says that between 50 and 70% of an artist's work is the strategy. So how do you, once you know what you want to do, how do you get it to your people and how do you find them? Yeah, so this is Martha Cuton Dudley. Well, I'm still fairly new to solopreneurship and am still, it's still a bit of a moving target. But yeah, the goal is to continue to scale it so that the living can be even more comfortable as we go forward. I've not sold the services to, to know how to compare the two, but definitely working on a variety of different types of product, different ways to package up and, and sell my art and always trying to figure out how people are, are going to be interested in, in buying it. So yeah, work in progress, really. This is Julia Hanfling. I continue to work as an outpatient a nutritionist and diabetes educator at a hospital. And one of the differences that I see by having an employer versus being self-employed is the need to be able to structure your own time. And Eric, you referred to this, that it really takes having an internal focus on what is the task for today. And the location isn't quite so important, clearly. And you also don't have other co-workers to to greet you at the office and to share stories from whatever, that there's a lot of it that just takes having a very clear purpose. So I think that anybody who's considering going into a solo practice has to be clear about what their purpose is and how much time they're going to dedicate to do it. And this is Julia Fitzgerald. As a CPA, one of the things that I help my clients with is the organization. So as uh, Julia Hanfling said, keeping yourself organized. And in my case, I have it booked out on my calendar. So all the client appointments are scheduled out to infinity uh, so that I don't book something else into that time 
which then allows me to see the calendar of, okay, I have time during this time of day to where I can work on somebody's books rather than being out at a client's place. So getting your calendar organized, setting up your schedule, figuring out the budget that you need to earn each week, sort of breaking it down even by day, can really help you sort of figure out what that goal is and how to be successful with your business. You know, and just to touch on that goal setting part, I've found that that is fundamental to any business, really. I mean, you have to know what your own personal definition of success is. And, you know, that can be metaphorical, it could be anecdotal, it could just be the life you want to live. But that is grounded in numbers. And that's really what I came to realize is that, you know, you can't just have that field of dreams approach where, you know, you do what you love and the rest of it falls into place because oftentimes it doesn't unless you do it. I think Julia will agree too. A lot of startup founders, founders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, they start their thing, they do it, they love it. And then they're a few months or a year and a half or three years in and all of a sudden they're realizing my books are a mess because they've never really set them up right. And that's so critical to kind of know where you're at on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, and that's perfectly true. That's really what it is. That businesses will fail mostly on just not having their books together rather than the actual product that they're selling. They could be very good at making and producing the product, but all the other pieces also need to be in place. And the numbers, you do not want to be behind on your taxes. <laughs> You really need to keep those things current. And that just keeps it out of your, off of your desk. And it just makes your life so much easier. With all the challenges of a one-person job, why is it such a huge national trend? We'll find out when we come back. Welcome back to Biz 503 on Portland Radio Project. I'm Mark Grimes of NetSpace, coasting today with Cindy Tortorisi of The Link. Today we're talking about new employment trend, people increasingly running a business on their own. It's tough when you're your own boss. There are risks of financial failure, burnout, and isolation. Freedom and flexibility are the reward. Joining us now, three business coaches who specialize in solo businesses. Jackie B., the strategic advisor for PCC Small Business Development Center. Kristen Schumann, career counselor and solopreneur coach with Vicki Linden. And Associates, and Teos Silvestri, small biz mentor and storytelling coach with Story Bistro. Welcome, everyone. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. What's the general philosophy that you share with people when you're asking them to share their story? You know, the thing about storytelling in business is that you want to be specific. So when I'm asking people to share their story, we want to we want to hear details. And a lot of times, sharing your story in something as simple as an elevator speech, for example, people tend to be very vague in general and say, well, I help everybody in this particular, you know, situation. And my philosophy is just tell us a story about one thing, one person you've helped, one situation, and that will go yards to, to getting you there. Where do you start when you want to tell your story? It's the most daunting thing when I'm about to write something or when I'm about to tell somebody about a story. Where do you start? Is there a good line you can You think start of? in the middle. <laughs> you start in the middle? Yeah. With? So after the failure. No, no. No, no. no. <laughs> well, you know, there's a, a thing called in media res. And if you've ever watched... In watch, media res? Mm-hmm, it's a Latin term, which means starting in the middle. Okay. And if you watch any sort of TV at all, you know that when it's really exciting, they start with the most exciting piece. And then, then they'll go, okay, so 48 hours before this, this is what happened. Mm. So if you you start with the most exciting, crucial, cliffhanger piece, that's the action, that's the piece that everybody gets excited about, then you can go back and give us the 
the backstory or the lead up to that. That's great. Jackie, what's some of the first things you do when talking to potential solo entrepreneurs? You know, I know I'm just overwhelmed with excitement about the possibilities of being a solopreneur. And I do tell people of the opportunities that are there for the flexibility and to do your own thing and create work that they love because a lot of people have never been had the opportunity to do work that they love and make money. As far as what they need to do to make their business successful, you know, what I stand by is seven principles of solopreneurship, which I've written about. It's focus and clarity, you know, really doing one thing, not trying to diversify yourself into many, many things, but focusing on one thing, building your expertise, building your specialty, being able to talk about it very, very clearly, and making sure that you stay on track, making sure that you understand that you spend your very precious time. I tell people time is our only non-renewable resource, so you have to spend your time more carefully than you would be spending a pile of platinum. And you have to be very careful with it. That means putting your time to work, doing the things that only you are good at, and then you outsource everything else to a like a virtual team of other people who are going to support you. And, you know, you focus on that and you raise your prices. You have to charge enough money because I've come to the conclusion that most small businesses fail because they don't charge enough money. That's great advice. So I love the title, of at least, of one of your books, Better, Smarter, Richer. Yes. Love that. It, it works. Where do you start there? And how do you get to be better, smarter, richer? Well, you know, it's a it's a statement of that, the philosophy that I was just talking about. The book itself is a fill-in-the-blanks workbook because I feel like what we're doing is we're making sure people understand that a solo business is definitely not a small, regular business. It's very different. It's built on a different model, and all of these things of focusing on one thing, articulating one thing, building your expertise in one thing, becoming, you know, a specialist in one thing, and charging enough is not at all what a traditional business does. You know, a traditional business is telling people that you should grow bigger, and you do that by hiring employees, you do that by turning yourself from a doer of the work you love into a manager of other people, which is a huge crisis in growing a business, that all of a sudden you have to take hands off doing what you love to start the business, and now you have to manage other people. And a lot of businesses fail at that point. Well, in a solo business, you never have to do that. You never take time off to manage other people. You really focus on doing what you love. When people begin to understand that point of view and that model of being in business, they begin to thrive, and it's terribly exciting. Kristen, where do you start when you start coaching someone as a solopreneur? Where do you think is the most important pieces of this? Well, I'm both a career counselor and a solopreneur coach, So I have a lot of people who come to me who are in transition. So I tend to start with a lot of self-discovery ingredients, things like looking at your values. And we do a Myers-Briggs. We do something called the Strong Inventory. And that's, that's where I tend to sort of start with people. I do use some of Jackie's curriculum as well. I'm licensed to use the Better, Smarter, Richer curriculum with solopreneurs. But a lot of people that come to me tend to be people that either with their business are really burnt out with it, they've lost their passion for their business, or going through a divorce, possibly, or they've taken time off to raise children. And so the self-discovery piece is really important and having the space and time to really think about what their next move is, not making a rash move, right? and making a calculated move that makes sense. So I think we started the show with like 18 million solopreneurs in the U.S. right now, and I think I remember Jackie saying it's heading towards 50 million at some stage on a previous show. What are some of the demographics that are driving those 
changes because people are getting divorced. All these other things have been happening all along, but that's a number that's still exploding. So what's driving that? Mark, I'd love to talk about that. What I see happening is that we are undergoing a very fundamental shift in our entire, the shape of our entire workforce. And what is happening everywhere is that big organizations, which we used to count on as hiring all of us, are divesting themselves of jobs just about as fast as they can do it. And they're doing it because they are trying to get lean and mean and be more competitive. And one of their major expenses is people. And they're doing it because technology is allowing them to streamline many things. They are, as I say, just divesting people all over the place. And what are they going to do? Well, I say we're Americans. We're very creative. So we don't sit home and just watch, you know, old black and white movies on TV. We go out and we do stuff. So this move has started for people going out and figuring a way to support themselves. What they have discovered along the way is that they can make a living doing what they love and that they are really liking it. And maybe they went into a solo business by default, but now they're going into a solo business because, darn it, they just love it. They love being that way. And more and more people are figuring out how to make really good money doing it. The internet has made all the difference. It means that you can find the team that you need. So like for me, that means I need a webmaster. I need a somebody that does social media for me. I need somebody that does photography for me. A lot of people need somebody that does books for them. You can find those people. And the joy of it is you can hire those people, outsource to them on a business-to-business basis, which is a totally different relationship than having an employee. And they're saying, hey, this is wonderful. Yeah, you still have to manage them, though. Of course. Right? You, you, so I don't think we ever truly get away from managing people, especially it's important like a mm-hmm. CPA or something. You can't just hand somebody the keys to your kingdom no. and walk away. So I think maybe one of the fallacies that people think of in terms of solopreneurship is, oh, well, I don't want to have any employees because I don't want to have to manage people. And you still have to. <laughs> you still have Good to point. work with people. We don't do any of this on our own. Just, you know, like you said, we have people that need to do things that we're not expert at. And if you want to be good at any of the business stuff, you have to get good at delegating and managing that, managing the process. In our first segment, we were hearing that not having your books in alignment and understanding what your goals are is a problem for solopreneurs and it could lead to their lack of success. Kristen, can you talk a little bit about other pitfalls that you've seen with solopreneurs? I tend to see a lot of sort of self-limiting beliefs with people. They don't think that they can do things or they, they have a fear of delegation, maybe. They want to do control. it themselves. <laughs> the control, right? They think that no one can do it as well as they can. No one can do it as efficiently. But at some point, you just you have to give up the ghost and you've got to delegate. And the self-limiting piece it comes out in a lot of different ways. It comes out in anxiety and this may be like beliefs about that your dad's voice inside of you telling you that you can't ever do this. So that's what I see a lot of. Again, like people in, in transition, they're feeling pretty insecure a lot of times and feeling like maybe the past decisions that they made weren't the best ones and that's where they got where they are. And I think that's where values come into play is that I think if we can get really rock solid with our values, we can have a, a gu- some guideposts with which to make better decisions going forward. What techniques do you use to get them over that hump, lack of self, of lack of confidence? Depends on the person. 
but I use a little bit of CBT sometimes, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And with the values thing, we just have sort of these cards that we use. We do a sort, and it's it's actually incredibly useful. Sometimes I'll have people actually go through and then pick their top 10 values, articulate to me what those values mean to them in relation to their work or their business, and then go and take another step and prioritize. And it sounds really easy and, and very like sort of hippy-dippy, but it, it's really powerful. It really can, can bring some clarity to a lot of situations. Jackie, I see you shaking your head. What pitfalls do you see that solopreneurs run into? I certainly would agree with Kristen that one of the big pitfalls that you have is this lack of self-confidence in all of the work and training and programs and coaching that I do. We work on building a person's self-confidence, having them try things, practice them, work with another group of people who give them, you know, because most of my things are group activities, give them an opportunity to work with that group, get feedback from the group, you know, positive feedback approaches so that they can understand how they're doing well and how they're perceived by other people. I also, a lot of times, and this is a funny one, I send people in to practice what they're going to say in front of the mirror in the bathroom. If you've never tried that, it sounds easy and it is extremely difficult and because you're talking to your worst critic and so I send people in to do that a lot you know anytime they're going to raise a price or make a presentation I have them go make that kind of a practice and it's truly wonderful that's a great segue to our last segment thank you all and coming up how do you do it all after a short break Welcome back to Biz 503. I'm Cindy Tortoresi with Mark Grime. Today we've been covering solopreneurs, those one-person operations where you get all the rewards but have to do all the work. How can one person run all aspects of a business on their own? Returning to tell us how it's possible is Kristen Schumann, career counselor and solopreneur coach with Vicki Lind and Associates. Thank you. Taya Silvestri, small business mentor and storytelling coach with Story Bistro. Hi, Taya. Nice to be here. Julia Halfling founder of Three Peaches Nutrition and Diabetes Coaching. And joining us for the first time is Michelle Halley, principal and founder of Barlow Strategies. So Michelle, you came from really big businesses. <laughs> I did a little research on you. So you were with Cheldwin, you were with Firm, and you're also with the World Bank. Yes. And now you're a solopreneur. Yes. yes. So tell us about this transition for you. How do you do it all when you had all these big companies before this? I am a, an infinitely organized person. So all I did was translate the help I used to have at those big companies into just getting up off my chair and doing it myself. But it's not that easy. I mean, before where if there wasn't any paper in the printer, I would just walk to the copy room and there'd be reams and reams of paper. If my computer went on the blink, I could call up the IT help desk. But now I go to Office Depot and I buy my own paper and I order my ink for my printer online and I contract out my books and I contract out graphic arts work and I contract out web design and I have an Apple store right down the street from my house so I can go and say, okay, what's the matter with my computer. I need it fixed now. <laughs> Taya, you look like you're feeling some of the same. Yeah, I've pain. been I've been a solopreneur for just over ten years. My husband is a computer geek, so I have the help desk. You have in-house, in-house. in-house. Built-in oh, nice. IT. Yeah, nice. yeah, and I and I've never been afraid of technology. So I think that's one thing that really helps if you are a solopreneur to be able to embrace the not knowing the in-between part of okay, so how do I fix this? And a lot of times it's 
as simple as Googling the question to find out what you need to do next. But yes, it's, <laughs> it's definitely, you know, when you start a business, whether or not you decide that you're going to stay a solopreneur or you're going to build something bigger, you are the first one. You have to figure out how to wear 112 different hats at least in the beginning. And it is kind of a little bit crazy and overwhelming for a lot of people to go How long that. is the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how well you're able to focus. And I think a lot of entrepreneurial types get distracted by bright, shiny objects. So they will go for about maybe two or three years and then start over, sometimes faster than that. And if you keep doing that, you're not going to get very far. You're just gonna There's a lot of ADD in yeah. startup world. <laughs> That's why they want to sell it in three years because then they can focus on that's the next right. thing, theoretically. That's right. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's probably why this type of person is so well-suited to be able to do this without going crazy. I mean, it's great if you have the ability to focus and be organized and do all of that and stay on track. Those are the people that are going to make something long-lasting and meaningful. And then there's the rest of those of us who just want to create stuff and put it out into the world and, you know, watch it. Let the world love it. <laughs> Let the world love it and okay. take care of it. Yeah. So how do you, I'm curious, because you guys all deal with other solopreneurs as you are yourselves, but how do you get these people like kind of talking about money? Because a lot of first-time solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, it's like they're dealing with money in a, or should be in a whole different way with their business than they are in their personal life. So how do you how do you do that? That's a hard one. I think in our society, it's more acceptable to talk about to talk about weight or sex or anything else. But money mm-hmm. is one of these age one of the money is still one of the taboo areas, and obviously it's one of the central factors of running a business. I think part of it is is recognizing that what Whatever it is that you're doing, that there's not shame in not knowing how to do something. That's one of the things that stopped me for the first several years from being successful is that I felt like I was supposed to be good at all of this and be good at balancing my checkbook each week and, you know, to be able to do the social media and so on. And once, actually, it's through working, truthfully, with Jackie Peterson and seeing that the best thing I could do is to do what I do well and then find other people who not only love what they do well, but also share share my vision. And by coming across individuals who see what it is that I'm trying to do, then the discomfort that I had in dealing with money or with other aspects of social media, I'll throw that one in, that I don't have to be good at those, but I need to have a grip on what it is that's happening. Just like we were saying earlier, you have to still manage that, but to let it go and do what you love and focus only on that. I would agree with that. And also money being the uncomfortable subject. Again, Jackie, I'm going to plug Jackie Peterson on this one. She said something to me that really changed my whole perspective about whether I was telling a client how much I charge or they were talking to me about what they were going to cost me. And that is, would you rather have someone say, hire Michelle, she's she's cheap. Or would you rather have them say, you know, Michelle's kind of expensive, but she's worth every penny. And I used to hire consultants in my previous jobs. And a lot of times I would get their proposals and my eyes would bug out. But now I realize that consultants get a lot of bad press because, oh, they're expensive, they're overpriced. You know, the Willamette Week loves to go after the state for hiring consultants. But what you have to understand is I am paying my own health care. I am paying my own insurance. I have to charge a certain amount 
just to make a living. And yes, that's a conscious choice. That is a conscious choice I have made. And I'm perfectly happy with that. But I'm not beyond negotiating. If I think you have a really exciting project that you want help on, I'm not above negotiating a price that works for both of us. Ultimately, that's the the good relationship, right? Because you can, I'm sure some of us has priced things at the, I don't really want to work with you rate sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yes. oh, I'll be happy to work with you now. <laughs> or in the other case, like you're saying, they may not have enough cash. And it's like, well, I might consider taking a chunk of a small piece of equity mm-hmm. and either reduce a fee or just equity in some cases. Yeah, there too. are any number of arrangements that, that could work for both parties. Kristen, where do you see the most important aspects of doing it all? What happens? What We'll go back to the pitfall question that I had before. If someone is trying to do it all all by themselves, mm-hmm. what, what happens first? Do they is it financial failure? Is it burnout? Is it we I haven't talked about the isolation of being a solopreneur either. Right. I think burnout is a, is a risk because I think if you're not, if you're kind of in your business and you're just you're just kind of a, the, the worker, you're just creating a job for yourself and you're just doing all the work, you're not delegating, I think you're at severe risk for burnout. And I see a lot of that. And so this idea of delegating, finding other solopreneurs, other firms to do the work for you is, is, is key. I think that keeping you know self-care in mind, taking care of yourself and not just letting the business run you ragged because frankly, you might as well work for someone else in that case. And I think that, you know, getting honest with your numbers and really not being afraid of your numbers and your money can be really key as well. Because I think not only should you know your numbers, you should have a bookkeeper and an accountant that is going to help you. And I think a lot of people miss this. They, they don't, they get an accountant, get a, C, a CPA, bookkeeper, what have you, to get their taxes done. But I think what they, they miss is that that person should also be helping you look at your books every year and make great decisions going forward about how you made money, what services brought in the most money, what your margins were. So I think that, that gets neglected as well. One of the things I was going to say, too, if we're talking about isolation and trying to avoid that, is to go beyond just the people that you're delegating to in terms of looking for community get out of the house and mm-hmm. and work with other people. Find yourself a mastermind group. You know, you can do these things that don't cost money but will give you kind of that board of directors feel like you're not alone and you have people that you can lean on that will help you. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit more as far as cuz that that's great advice but how does somebody sit at home in their jammies now? <laughs> Hopefully not now. This time of the afternoon, but anyway. <laughs> hey, I do. Oh, if I wasn't it's, here, you know, I would be in my it's possible, yeah. <laughs> but, but how do they go about going, I, I want to connect with a mastermind group. I need to find another seven solopreneurs. How do I do that? Right. So the first thing that you do, like you're, like anything, is you decide what you need from people. If you know who you are, and that's probably where you're starting from, is know yourself, mm-hmm. know what your, your strengths are and your weaknesses, and then think about who would the most perfect board of directors be for me in terms of the knowledge and skills and expertise. And then look to your network and see who fits those places and then make invitations. You can do it online. You don't have to meet in person. I have a mastermind group that I meet with and we just talk by phone. But then I have one that I meet locally. There's four of us. We meet every month and we rotate around somebody's house. It's really amazing what you can get done in that. Like you said, it's an informal board of directors and only they don't have equity in your company. So they're giving pure raw advice. Right. And you are making the commitment to help them as well. So it's not just, you know, there's definitely a good... 
yeah, peer to peer, and the support that you get emotionally, intellectually, expertise wise, it's just I don't think there's any amount of money that you could put on that. How did you find these two groups? Well, like I said, I made the first foray in looking at what is it that I want from a group and who would be ideal to work with. But how did you know who that was? I looked at myself and I said, okay, so Tay is really good at marketing and she knows how to tell a story and she knows how to do some of those other kind of strategic things. But some of the things I'm not good at are money, finances, employee management. And I don't have any employees, but I have contractors and I think there's a lot of similar stuff that goes on. So So where'd you find your financial friend? I had some people in my LinkedIn network that I knew. So you you look to your networks, you look to see who you're already connected to. And if you don't have a connection, then you just, you have to keep that eye open and go, okay, when I'm out networking and I'm looking for people, it's not that I necessarily want to sell you something, but maybe you and I can partner in a different way. Maybe we can be in a mastermind group. Right along that line, I would add the benefit of um, connecting to professional associations, that there's all sorts of, whether this is finance for me as a dietitian or a diabetes educator, there's lots of different groups that have a similar purpose in whatever capacity they're working. And out of a a larger professional group to be able to meet a smaller cohort that is more closely tied to the way that you want to practice or want to work. And from there to build a linking network where people can cross-refer and share stories or struggles or whatever it is. But I think that definitely the professional organizations have a tremendous amount to offer solopreneurs. If I could add just one more thing to that, there is a a wonderful organization that I discovered called Freelancers.org. Org. And it's it's a website, it's a network of people all over the country, and they have a newsletter, an online newsletter, they have a blog, I follow them on Twitter, and they have everything from deals on insurance policies to, hey, I need an expert on X. Can you connect me with so-and-so so that we can have a conversation and do exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about right here? And it's free to join. They also do some political advocacy on behalf of what they were calling freelancers, but what we like to call solopreneurs. Mark and I both cool. wrote that one down. That's Obviously, we haven't heard of that. Yeah, that's a good one. That's really good. That's awesome. And I would recommend locally, too, for people that want to go to in-person events or an entrepreneur network is a natural mm-hmm. one as well. And let me make a correction. It might be freelancersunion.org. Okay. So, anyway. I think it is, yeah. Um, one of the things I was thinking about this morning, too, and this may be one of those questions, it just kind of goes flat. But I was trying to think of who are solopreneurs that are, like, kind of branded, so to speak. In other words, Mark Cuban, Richard Branson, Seth Godin. Are there solopreneurs that kind of have that I know that person level? In some ways, Seth Godin is now, kind of, I think. I don't think he really has a staff. But are there other people? I was going to say Marie Forleo is one that comes to mind as a a female branded person. Yeah, she's a marketing person that you can learn from online and she has a team. Now, I don't know if she has employees or if if they're contractors, but I would say that anybody, even Seth Godin, is going to have a team. Even if they're, well, 1099ers, which still still don't get to count. I was going to say, it kind of caught me by surprise when I realized how many people it takes for me to be independent. Well said. Yeah, yeah, so once you figure out what do you need to be independent, then they just kind of, they'll be there to support you. And I've come to the conclusion, it's like each person that works 
you know, with me, that, that whether this is my accountant or my, um, I have an office manager and all these others, they are kind of like the bricks in the, the me building this business. And I'm the mortar that holds it all together. So anyway, that's my thought. How many people does it take to be independent? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I mean, that is probably the biggest fallacy that people have is that they're going to do everything by themselves. And well, I don't want any employees, so then I don't have to worry about it. The real question is, how big do you want to be? How big do you want to grow? One of the things that's out there right now, we talked earlier about your self-esteem and whether or not you feel confident enough to do the things that need to be done. But there's a lot of marketing messages out there telling you that you aren't doing enough, that you need to think bigger, that you need to grow bigger, that you need to be more epic. And that is craziness. And not everybody is meant to be that way. And so if you take all of those messages in and then you you think, oh, well, I'm not doing it right because I'm not thinking big enough or whatever. I need to grow my business to a certain point in order to be seen as successful and not check in with yourself and go, really, what do I want? to create here, not what does everybody else want me to create. So that's a really good point. And I think, you know, dealing with people sometimes starting companies and they're really concerned with their legal entity. Should it be an LLC or an S corp? It doesn't matter. Do your thing, sell your thing first. That's a more crucial point is, do you want to be a solopreneur and get like 1099ers around you, or do you want to be an entrepreneur that really is going to grow and scale things? And one more point, I think, which is really important to, to think about and understand is know your limits. Know how much you can handle capably. I see, because I my business consults to the cannabis industry, and I see these startup businesses, and they're trying to do way too much for way too many people. And what's happening is they're not returning phone calls. They're starting to alienate their customers or their clients because they're just, they, they can't do it all. And so I have a very, very conscious idea of how much I can do in order to give my clients professional, responsible, nimble service. And I can't take on too many clients because then I start neglecting those people who are paying me. And that's never a good position to be in. And that's a hard balance because mm-hmm. you lose just one client and all of a sudden you're in kind of marketing mode mm-hmm. potentially you're, or you're, you're not. In, you're and in then, lead chase exactly. mode. Exactly. Yep. One of the things that's true, I've seen this happen over and over again, is people get to that place where they're full, they have a full client load or a full business, and they don't make that decision to bring on more people to help them. And so then they implode. I can't even tell you. I would say out of 10 times that I've worked with different people, they have been so controlling about who's going to help them that they wouldn't even hire somebody to help, you know, be like an admin and help return phone calls. And that is the thing that will kill you the fastest. If you stop returning phone calls and, and you stop responding to emails, it's over. My theory is work staff until the staff starts to cry. Then you hire other staff <laughs> to help come in and relieve some of the pain. Go ahead. I was going to say that with that, there's a certain kind of a cultural attitude around the fear of failure. And somehow it's seen as being a failure if you hire somebody else or bring somebody else on board yeah. because it shows your mm-hmm. lack. And I think that acknowledging that and recognizing that nobody is good at everything and that when you can, I find what it is that you're not good at, that actually is what strengthens you because you have somebody else who can support you in that way. So I think that's an important
important consideration. So I'm still going to stay on this because my company's called The Link, so I want to keep going on to this <laughs> isolation <laughs> community thing. Yeah, obviously. So I just find that solopreneurs get very lonely. So how do you advise or how do you as solopreneurs stay connected with others? And I know we talked about the mastermind group, but if we haven't heard from you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I must be unusual because I actually, my social network started to grow when I started a business more so than when I, my last full-time job was about 10 years ago now. I worked at a nonprofit and it was much like the office, about 13 <laughs> people. And, you know, I just had a baby that might've been part of it, but I just, my social life was not raging at the time. You know, it was fine, but I just found that I was too tired to do anything after work. And, and then when I started a business, I've just never had a, a, any trouble having Ooh, a, a pretty thriving point. social network Very since then. So I think point. it just depends on your personality and what you do. What I also tell people though, is if they do struggle with that, is there's that great book Never Eat Alone I can't think of the guy's name who wrote it but um, he talks about you know if you don't want to go to dry boring you know networking events don't go to them you know go to go do what you want to do go have fun go go kayaking you know go you know yeah so just you're have you're, a life have a life <laughs> yeah just go do the things that you love to do and your network will grow and those those are the people that you will um, go to meetup groups that are about you know technology or geeky things that you like whatever then your network will grow and, and you know really really good point right Michelle, how has your network changed in the last year since you started your own company? Um, I'd have to agree with with Kristen. It actually has grown, and and occasionally I find myself, you know, on a project deep in my own house office, and no one's around but the dog, and she's just not very good with giving advice. <laughs> so she but, probably distracts you a little bit, exactly. right? Right. And I do go to uh, lots of networking events. Um, if you're familiar at all with the burgeoning cannabis industry in Oregon, there's a cannabis conference every 20 minutes. So, so, and that's that's an industry that is very compassionate and spiritual and and everybody gets together and so I've made a ton of friends not just someone who would say hey Michelle you know I'm having an issue with compliance on this but they're actually going to say hey I've got some great ideas you want to go have a beer and I sure why not you know so it's been good and if I could add one more thing too I think that when, as somebody who tends to be on the introverted side, and I thrive on community, what I find is that when I sort of collapse my self-care practices, that's where the isolation becomes worse. So if I'm not eating well, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I sit and I don't go for a walk, then whatever struggles that I'm having become magnified. And so I think that for anyone who's in practice for themselves, or truthfully, anybody at all, those self-care tools are really what restores us and that keeps us strong enough to continue going. Very nice. Thank you, Okay, well, we'd like to thank all our guests. And as we go around here, if you could toss out just a real quick nugget as to like the best one nugget of advice you can give people. Michelle Halley, principal of founder of Barlow Strategies. Contracts, contracts, contracts. Do not enter into any business arrangement or client arrangement without a contract. Okay. (laughs) Nice. And heard. Julia Hanfling, founder of Three Peaches Nutrition. Know yourself well and take care of your strengths and support your weaknesses. Excellent. Thank you. Taya Silvestre, small business mentor and storytelling coach with Story Bistro. Yeah, so storytelling requires another person. You can't tell a story by yourself. You need an audience there with you. So if you remember that relationships are everything, and that is the reason why we're here, then you should be okay. 
Awesome. Awesome. Kristen Schumach, career counselor and solopreneur coach with Vicki Lind and Associates. Again, just um, sure. get, get right with your values. Know your values really well in and out. Revisit it from time to time. Prioritize it and, and just really use that as your, um, your guidepost for making your decisions. Very nice. So we've got self-care, contracts, relationships, and your values. Very nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503. Have a great weekend.